You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? Good afternoon. Um, healthy, alive. Doing, uh, doing better than yesterday. Uh, less sore. Um, I'm able to walk more normally today, so that's, that's good news. Uh, but, yeah, doing well. You sound a lot better today. I'm glad you're actually on the rebound. You say you're uh, you're not having as much muscle pain? Yeah, not not nearly as much. Um, actually, to to be fair, I didn't even really until you mentioned it. Uh, I really didn't even know I was congested or any of that. I had no symptoms at all. So clearly, it must be COVID. I must be um, yeah one of the minor you know, symptoms or asymptomatic. You know, I we we just and Bruce, you're you're making a joke about that. There's nothing to joke about. We had the deadliest mm. day. For COVID on Saturday, 3,000, I almost said 30,000, might as well be at this point, 3,309 people died of coronavirus on Saturday. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I I know it's horrible and it's terrible, uh, but the fact that we have, what is it, 7,500, 7,600 average uh, over the last four years die a day, and we know that uh, you're in a car accident and you die from blunt force trauma and then they test you after you're dead and you have COVID present or even the artifacts, you know, because they do the 40 cycle or, you know, Zoom or whatever you want to call it. 40 or 45 testing, in some cases. Or 45 in some cases. Yeah. So or uh, they're picking drink, up the artifacts. Yeah. Or if you in, in the case of Austria, if you're drinking a Coca-Cola. Yeah, right. I'm actually curious on that one, by the way. I'm curious if acids have anything to do, like if it messes with the, the test at all. Because technically, Coke is really acidic. It's more acidic than coffee, and I think coffee is like a five or a three or something like that. Well, it's if that's really if that's not yeah, if that's not good enough for you, I mean, that could be the case. That that could very well be the case. But if that's not good enough for you, I believe I read something else the other day, and and this was a while back. The president or something of like Zimbabwe obviously down in uh, uh, down in Africa, he took a couple of, he thought it was bogus. And so he took a couple of PCR tests and he swabbed a wall inside of his office on one PCR test and he swabbed a goat on another one. And he took the tests in and they said, are these from actual, they asked the question to him and said, are these from actual people? And he said, yes. And wouldn't you know, both of them came back positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No surprise. That's the other thing is... Uh... It, it seems like the, the tests currently have a 100% positivity rate is what it seems like now. Almost. Yeah. Um, you would think so, with all these crazy lockdowns, right? That Yeah, that's that's what it would uh, that's what it would certainly have to be to justify it, at least. But I mean, hey, we're, we're, we're close to opening up, right? We're, we're close to the end of the 14 days, right? Right. We're, we're right there. Yeah. Well, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bill Gates, have you, I don't know if you've heard of him or not. Uh, he was on Jake Tapper just a couple of days ago. Actually, it was uh, what was it last night. Yeah, it was last night. He was on uh, he was on Jake Tapper and uh, he had something interesting to say about uh, about all that. Let's take a listen to him. People in California are right now under brand new stay at home orders uh, as hospitals there uh, risk being overwhelmed. 
Um, there are a lot of governors uh, who oppose bringing back these lockdown orders uh-huh. and forcing businesses cl- to close. What do you think? Do you think more states need to consider taking that kind of drastic action and the kind of drastic action we saw when the pandemic first began? Or can there be a more nuanced approach? Well, certainly mask wearing uh, has essentially no downside. They're not expensive. <laughs> Bars and restaurants um, in most of the country will be closed as we go into this wave. And I think, sadly, that's appropriate. Oh, Depending okay. on how severe it is, the decision about schools is much more complicated because they're, no. you know, the benefits are pretty high. The amount of transmission is no, not no. the same as in restaurants and bars. So, not uh, you know, trade-offs will have to be made. But this, the next four to six months uh, really oh, call four. on us. Uh-huh. Uh, to to do our best because we can see that this will end and you don't want, you know, somebody you love to be the last to die of coronavirus. When do you think life will fully return to what we thought of as normal back in January? No masks, no social distancing. 14 days, Jake. Uh, No other protective measures Mm -hmm. necessary. 14 days, Jake. 14 days flat to curve. Certainly by the summer we'll be way closer to normal than we are now. Oh, but all right. even through early 2022, unless we help other countries get rid of this disease and we get high vaccination rates in our country, uh-huh. the risk of reintroduction will be there. And of course, the global economy will be uh, slowed down, which hurts right, America right. economically. Yeah, because you care so much about that. Yeah. In a pretty dramatic way. Uh-huh. So we'll have, starting in the summer, about nine months where a few things like big public gatherings uh, will still be restricted. But, right, right. You know, we can see now that somewhere between 12 to 18 months, uh-huh. and we have a chance, if we manage it well, uh, to get back to normal. Okay. So, Bruce, you see clearly there, right? Now, that was Dr. Bill Gates, right? Clear, which, mm. of course, I'm not sure if... Well, no, I'm sorry. He, he, doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a medical license. He, he doesn't have any kind of a college degree at all of any kind, let alone a medical doctor's degree or anything like that. So he's not an MD, yet he's he's going to tell you about how things are going to be. He's going to talk to you and he's going to educate you about public health. So here's a guy sitting in his uh, wherever, uh, in his little um, his little island ho- house there in, uh, in just outside of Seattle off the coast. And um, yeah, he's he's got his little V-cut sweater on. He's drinking his tea, non-threatening. Yeah. He's going to tell you that we're only going to be open. I don't know if you caught this or not. He's going to tell you that we're going to be open 90 days a year. That's it. You're going to have six to nine months a year where you're going to have heavy restrictions on everything. Did you catch that? That sounds to me like the Paris Climate Accords. That sounds like um, to effectively do the, the, the climate change stuff they're wanting to do to reduce emissions. That's literally what you have to do over 10 years. So don't expect this to go away anytime soon. And the other thing... Um, it's kind of telling maybe maybe i'm reading into it maybe but uh this kind of stuck out to me where he said well certainly by this summer (laughs) well well the the chuckle he did there when he was saying this summer Uh uh that was kind of telling in my opinion it it seemed like you know (laughs) yeah this summer will be closer yeah yeah but it's a it's almost like a 
um, I, I know something you don't know. Kind of a, it's uh, what it felt like. But you know, maybe maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm I'm you know, uh, yeah. See, Bruce, you asked 14 days, right? 14 days. That's all we need. We just need 14 days to flatten that curve. So you you notice it? It never ends. It's just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then all of a sudden, oh, uh, well, it's possible the middle of 2022. Well, then what's it going to be? The middle of 2025, 2030, maybe. Seems to be a popular year for a lot of these. Uh, a lot of these people like Gates and the rest of them. But I digress. Uh, kind of, let's yeah, fits let's, other topics we're talking about. Hmm. It does. It does. Let's um let's talk about something else. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to I want to kind of shift up a little bit here. I don't want to get too deep into this because this is fresh. Uh th- this is fresh, like 24 hours fresh, uh 48 hours technically, but the information is either in the process, it, it's already out there. So people are in the process of translating it now. And we're going to have we're going to have Marty on this week and we're going to get really into this and we're going to hope that we have more information than what we do now in the coming days. But right now, I'm just going to cover a little bit of it. And I want to kind of transition to an aspect of of what we're seeing here in the West. And I want to compare it to instances that people lived under in the Soviet Union and see if there's I'm asking you, the listener, is there any kind of a correlation that you're going to uh, you're going to be able to make here between the two? I'm just going to lay it out there. And the question is, do you believe that this is the type of attitudes that we're seeing towards the West in general, rather you're in Europe, Canada or the United States? I don't care. uh, Or the UK, for that matter. Also, it stands to reason that there might be another agenda in play with Donald Trump. And this is something, as far as I can tell, no one else is covering. No one. Uh, Even all the big guys out there. uh, I don't hear anyone talking about this. And I don't know if it's indeed the case, but signs in my personal and humble opinion are pointing in that direction. And I will explain why. But uh, let's start with these data dumps. So it was first reported out of Australia. Okay, let's take a listen to this is a long uh, a long thing that she puts together, but this is out of Sky News Australia. This came out just a few days ago, about uh, 72 hours ago, and 24 to 36 hours ago, we were told major lockdowns were coming. Why? I think this might have something to do with it. Let's take a listen. But tonight, I start with some breaking news that will be front page of The Australian tomorrow and big news in the UK as well. Amid rising tensions in the Australia-China relationship, there has now been a major leak of official records from the Chinese Communist Party. It is believed to be the first leak of its kind in the world. A register with the details of nearly 2 million Communist Party members. It includes their name, party position, birth date, national ID number, ethnicity, and in some cases, even their phone number. What's amazing about this database is not just that it exposes people who are members of the Communist Party and who are now living and working all over the world from Australia to the US to the UK. But it's amazing because it, because it lifts the lid on how the party operates under President and Chairman Xi Jinping. But this leak shows that party branches are embedded in some of the world's biggest companies and even inside government agencies. That's right, Communist Party branches have been set up inside Western companies, allowing the infiltration of those companies by CCP members who, if called on, are answerable directly to the Communist Party, to the chairman, the president himself. Along with the personal identifying details of 1.95 million Communist Party members, mostly from Shanghai, there are also the details of 79,000 Communist Party branches many of them inside companies. 
this leak, and it's going to be front page of The Australian tomorrow and a big story in the UK as well, is a significant security breach that is likely to embarrass the Chinese president. But it's also going to embarrass some global companies who appear to have no plan in in place to protect their intellectual property from theft, from economic espionage. The data was extracted from a Shanghai server by China. All right, that goes on, uh, and we will play the rest of that in its entirety in the coming days. But you get the idea. This data leak exposes Communist Party members in governments, in corporations that are loyal to one thing only, and it's not your national governments. It's not your countries. These people abhor countries. So the leak itself, 1.95 million people, so roughly 2 million, 79,000 of which are networks that are set up inside corporations. It's corporations that are being used to leverage out our civil rights and our human rights, is it not? All of these governments that take campaign contributions from these corporations, you don't think that they have a vested interest in this? When we talked yesterday, all these governments, whether it's a state government in the United States or a, a, a national government on the continent of Europe or a regional government in Canada, they're all taking the same steps. Now, it's not that they're coordinating with each other. These people are not that smart. These people are idiots. But it goes to the higher reason. They're getting their orders from somewhere else. And in my humble opinion, this is it. And this makes them look like complete ass clowns on the world stage. Like I said, I don't want to get too deep into this. Marty has got uh, a lot more that he wants to say on this because UK companies are involved. Uh, and this this is bad. Th- this is bad. So like I said, this comes out... And then all of a sudden, we're hearing about massive lockdowns and the virus is the worst we've ever seen. That's the cover. That's the cover. That's to take the the attention off of them in the fact that they've sold us out. They've sold our futures out. They've sold our future generations out, our pensions, our retirements, our way of life, all of it gone. Why? Because they jumped in bed with a bunch of a bunch of killers. That's what they are. They've killed 100 million of their own people in the last 50 years, 70 years, technically, if you want to get technical about that. Mal came in at 49. And we'll discuss more on that later this week because we have new videos that have now come out and we have verified them. And they are accurate of Di Dong Cheng, who was the economics professor at the University of Shanghai that we played a clip of last week that Tucker Carlson did an expose on. We have another video of him that's come out. And again, we verified it and it is accurate. So we're going to be playing that in the next couple of days. And it should shed some more light on more things that we're going to cover today. But just to get into a little bit of this, the detailed analysis of this data dump of these Chinese Communist Party members have revealed that, listen very carefully, Pfizer and AstraZeneca employed 123 party loyalists and that there were more than 600 party members across 19 branches working at the British banks, HSBC, and the Standard Chartered in 2016. In addition, firms with defense industry interests like Airbus, Boeing, and Rolls-Royce employed hundreds of party members. What's revealing about the the first two that I mentioned there, Pfizer and AstraZeneca? Well, gee whiz, Bruce, isn't that that company that makes the COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah, the ones that haven't actually made a successful yeah. flu virus or uh-huh. vaccine. Yeah, yeah, that one. And and just out of curiosity, where, where did this uh, coronavirus come from? Oh, yeah, it uh, just happened to come from uh, Wuhan. Uh huh. Which is located where? In China. Oh, oh, okay. D- do you see how we're being played for a bunch of fools here? So again, I'm not going to get too deep into that, uh, which by the way, I mean, there's there's some legislators in here that, w- I mean, there's a list of about 150 legislators that we can go down through, but I- I'm not going to get into all those. Most notably, I will name a few, just to name a few right now of what we got coming up later in the week, just to name a few. Arizona Governor 
uh, Ducey or whatever his name is, which uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of him. All right. That happens to be a, a state that's in question of the election, is it not? Yeah, I, I thought so. Yeah. California Governor Gavin Newsom, right? All-star. All-star he is. I think he's in the yeah. process right now of being recalled. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that later, uh, later in the week. Nevada Governor uh, Sisolak, he's on there. Kentucky Governor Bashir, he's on there. This one kind of caught me off guard, but now it makes sense. Texas Governor Greg Abbott. That kind of makes sense now because of, uh, of everything that he was flip-flopping on. We couldn't understand why. Now it makes mm-hmm. a little bit more sense now that he's been listed in there. Yeah. And also, by the way, most of these people on this list, yeah, they were also photographed with uh, a bunch of CCP assets that are listed in that as well. So looks kind of bad. Mm. Lo- looks kind of bad. Yeah. Like I said, there, there's a lot to this. And uh, the dump itself, the data dump itself is in the process now by all these different independent media organizations being translated. And that takes time. You're talking about two million, a database of almost two million names throughout the world. This is an this is organized crime on a level I've never seen before. This is absolutely unbelievable, the scope of this thing. But it goes to the higher thing that we've been talking about here for the better part of almost two years. This is an international group of gangsters. These are gangsters and thugs and, and, and lunatics and psychopaths. That's all they are. They're not communists. <laughs> quite frankly, communist, the average follower out there of Marxism isn't quite this smart. Uh, that's, not to, that's not to say that... Um, the academic side of it, their intelligence, uh, but they know how to to use the devil speak of it. Uh, but the average person out there that follows it, they're not this intelligent. But this by far is uh, is beyond anything I've ever seen before. Uh, and to be fair, uh, when the woman says that this is a world first on a data dump such as this, she's not lying. She's absolutely right. If we would have had a list like this from back during the days of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, we would have been sitting on cloud nine, but we didn't. But see, the way that information works now, it's much easier to obtain this kind of stuff. One thing I know about Marxists and specifically uh, Communist Party members, I don't care where the party is. I don't care. It, the party's international. It's not national. This, the, the Communist Party knows no national bounds. So they believe in one way and one world. That's their world socialism. And they've got these sick, disgusting elites here in the West that have signed on to this garbage. And you know something? There's going to be a double cross both ways. So they're going to turn on each other either way. That's what all this is all about. And you've got gopher governments that are actually doing their bidding for them. And they have no idea what they're even mixed up in. These people, you stupid, naive, ignorant politicians, you have no idea what you're signing on to. None. You have no clue the type of people you're getting in bed with, because most of you know how to go out there and you know how to give good speeches, but you don't have a damn bit of sense about yourself and you don't have any brains, as near I can tell. Otherwise, you would do the honorable thing. You would either come out and expose this or you'd simply walk away from it. But you're not doing any of that. You're going along with it. That's the most sickening part about all of it. And that's what's going to be your downfall is the fact that you're actually going along with it. You're endorsing it. But see, if you walk away from it now... So you're like a degenerate gambler that's in hawk to the uh, to the mob and to the sharks and the bookies. You're so far into it now that if you walk away from it, they'll make sure that you don't hang around too much longer, right? I'm just guessing. Kind of makes you wonder um, about climate change, doesn't it? How kind so? Kind of makes you wonder because, uh, well, they're saying we have to reduce uh, manufacturing. We have to re- reduce our, our pollutants and all that kind of stuff, which means we have to basically annihilate our economy. And who does that help? Who Who is... The ones following the, the the Paris Accord or, you know, the, the climate change trying to reduce pollution and who isn't? Well, the ones that are typically following it are typically the West, right? They're, they're the ones that 
have more or less that moral obligation, right? Whereas China, for example, they don't really have that moral obligation, do they? Because clearly, uh, I mean, you've seen the videos out there of the... uh, the amount of smog and pollutants that are out there. There's other countries in Asia um, that you have those wonderful rivers full of plastics and all kinds of trash and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, and so, believe me, they are not. I, I what was I was reading? There's. I, I want to say that nine out of every ten rivers or waterways in China are completely un unsanitary and undrinkable. Like you can't you can't even like they, they don't have the the infrastructure to purify that water in those waterways as to how contaminated it is. Yeah. So it, it kind of fits this whole narrative that they're um, trying to destroy the West to take power themselves, right? It kind of fits along with that narrative. So it almost it almost seems like maybe this was kind of something that they either created or that they just latched onto and tried to help perpetuate this um, this uh, hysteria about the world ending because of global warming. There's something I wanted to look up uh, and I can't... I need to brush up on it, but um, long story short, you you have to understand what it is to be loyal. And, and when I say loyal, I'm talking about loyal to the Communist Party. And I've spent a decade learning about how these people operate. And it's not that difficult if you sit down and you know where to look. But you have to understand the level that they are at. When you swear an oath to the Communist Party, I don't care which country it is, you swear an oath to the Communist Party, you understand something. That is swearing away your life. Let me put this into perspective just to make it real simple because we're because we're restrained by time here. Let's say that you join the Communist Party. You're a card-carrying member. You pay dues. You belong to a local chapter and all the, all the rest of it, right? Let's say you do that. You go to work. You work a straight job. You come home. And then you're going out doing party work, passing out literature or writing articles for them for some ridiculous rag propaganda paper they have or whatever. Okay, let's say you're doing that and you have no time for family life. So you go to your handler, you go to your chapter president or whatever, your your committee member or whatever, and you say, hey, I'm I'm just I'm overloaded at work. I've got all this going on and and my wife's upset with me because I'm not spending enough time at home. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have to cut back on this. You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you to divorce your wife and leave your family because you're married to the party. Your life is pledged to the party. <laughs> That's being a bit generous. I, I I would have thought they would have gone in and executed their wife and kids or, or well, something like that. Yeah, but that's a little hard to. Yeah, but that, that, in a totalitarian system, yes, you're right. You're you're right. Mm-hmm. In a totalitarian system, for even questioning something like that, you'd be stomped and and you'd be drug off to a gulag somewhere along with the rest of your family. Until comrade, you would see the error of your ways, and then of course you can mm-hmm. come back and be welcomed back into the fold. I mean, that's what you don't believe me. That's what happened in Soviet Union. But here in Western societies, you can't just go out and and off somebody like that without turning some heads. Right. You can't just do that in the neighborhood somewhere. It's a little you can, I guess, but it's a little more difficult. But these people, I mean, they, they are absolutely ruthless. They're ruthless. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm speaking from the experience I have of knowledge of studying the Communist Party and all its aspects. I mean, you swear an oath to guard the party secrets, to be loyal to the party and to protect it at all costs. And you don't betray it. It's not as simple as what you think it is. You think that, okay, it's just uh, it's just a simple political party. It's more than that. It's a way of life. You see, a true communist, you've got to feel that the party doesn't owe you anything. You're pledged to the party. You owe things to that party. The party doesn't owe you anything. You owe it to the party. And 
that's the way that they operate. So you have to fight. You have to fight for the system the whole way through. All right. I want to um, I want to read this story. And this was written by a gentleman by the name of Simon Black. And it was written at the sovereignman.com. This was written by them, but he's not describing himself. Someone by the name of Marat K, who was one of the team members there, grew up during the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he tells his experiences of that time period and what he went through in the Soviet Union. And I wanted to read this here. And I wanted I want you, the listener, to to listen to this story and just ask yourself if we are experiencing or if we were we're on the the beginning path to a lot of these things that I'm going to mention. When I was a kid growing up in the Soviet Union, it was essentially forbidden to make a better life for yourself. You couldn't just decide to go back to school, to start a business, or to switch careers to a thriving new industry. And it did not matter how hard you worked, you were most likely never going to be promoted. All the top jobs in the Soviet Union were reserved for party loyalists. The government removed every possible economic incentive to achieve more which is why service was so pitiful. Technology was lagging, and the Soviet economy was consistently in the dumps. Now, on occasion, the government would decide that they wanted to populate certain rural areas of Russia, such as remote parts of Siberia. Quite often, families were simply ordered to pick up and move, as was famously the case under Joseph Stalin. But by the 1970s, the government would provide a small financial incentive for families. If you move to Siberia, you could earn a slightly higher salary. This became literally the only way that anyone could legally make more money in the Soviet Union. And that's how my parents and I ended up moving to a cold little town in western Siberia in 1985. The plan was to stay there for a few years, save money, and then move back to a nicer, bigger city in Russia with better climate. The fact that our new Siberian town didn't have a single restaurant, cinema, or even an ice cream place made saving money very easy. My parents followed through on their plan, and by the early 1990s, they'd saved enough money to buy a decent house, plus a car, and still have some savings left over. But then the unimaginable happened, and the Soviet Union collapsed. The economy crashed. Inflation. Then hyperinflation followed. As the government started printing money like crazy in an effort to continue making interest payments on its own debt, the prices skyrocketed. At some point, stores stopped displaying price signs. Why bother if they're doubling every other week or so? Salaries and pensions did not keep up with inflation, and almost everyone became more poor with each passing day. Most people, including my parents, were caught completely unprepared. The general level of financial literacy at the time was pitiful. Most Russians didn't know the first thing about money, finance, or economics, so no one knew how to react to the hyperinflation that was unfolding in front of our very eyes. It was as if everyone was frozen in disbelief, including my parents. By 1990, before the crisis, my parents had saved 50,000 rubles. At that time, that would have been enough to buy a house and a car. After a few years of crisis, my parents still had the same 50,000 rubles. But by then, all they could afford to buy with it was a pair of winter boots for my mother. Their entire nest egg has been completely inflated away in a few short years. But not everyone has lost during that time. Those who successfully navigated the financial wild west of the 1990s in Russia turned the crisis into the opportunity of their lifetimes. For example, I remember seeing ads in a newspaper offering to exchange a flat in Moscow for a poor quality Soviet car. It was an unbelievable trade when you think about it. The guy with the apartment was probably panicking and trying to leave the country, so he thought it would be a good idea to trade his apartment for a car. But 10 years later, the car was a worthless pile of scrap. Meanwhile, the owner of the flat still held a valuable asset that had appreciated significantly in value and kept up with inflation. 
And naturally, the savviest people were able to buy extremely high-quality assets on the cheap, like real estate and businesses, including shares of newly privatized oil companies. Investing in Gazprom in the early 1990s was like buying Bitcoin in 2010. Later, these people became known as Russian oligarchs. Now, I'm not writing this to suggest that the same financial catastrophe will take place in the US or Europe. After all, the ruble didn't enjoy the status of being the world reserve currency in the early 90s and the economy of the late Soviet Union was already in terrible shape. Still, this very recent history should serve as a reminder. Idiotic economic policies almost always have consequences. When a government goes out of its way to destroy economic incentives through higher taxes or abusive regulations, bad things usually happen. When a government accumulates a mountain of debt that is impossible to pay, bad things usually happen. When a central bank conjures trillions of dollars out of thin air, bad things usually happen. And I can tell you from personal experience that when a society actively embraces a communist ideology, bad things usually happen. And all of these issues in North America and Europe certainly could create consequences for the dollar and the euro someday. This isn't a dire prediction, it's just common sense. Something that most politicians seem to be lacking these days. It's most important to think about risks and consequences and prepare for them in advance. I watched my parents lose their entire nest egg and become victims of other people's stupidity because they were unprepared. But today we have access to so much more information and education. We can learn about how gold and silver have maintained their value against inflation for thousands of years. We can learn about other assets, rather productive land, cryptocurrency, or profitable business ventures that do well, even in times of crisis. And we can make a plan B, just in case the unthinkable happens. Because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that absolutely anything is possible. Bruce, what do you think of that? Hmm. Right off the bat, I think um, private property is not going to be um, legal to own anymore uh, when, the, when the crash happens. Yeah, the reset um, doesn't allow it. So yeah. That that's that's out. But see, if you're one of these uh, these high up elites, well, they don't seem to play by the uh, the same rules. Uh, the oligarchs, right. as they would become, uh, they, they wouldn't play by the same rules. You see, they already don't. I mean, no, they already look don't. At the, well, and just use healthcare as an example. Our politicians get far better healthcare. They're not bound by Obamacare like we are. They don't have to follow the same rules. So no, they they get the best uh, medical care, for example, and. <laughs> They can do insider trading. No, that's completely legal. That's fine. Even though they passed a law that said, or a bill that said that that was supposed to be illegal, they went in and stripped the thing. So no, and I'm not saying it's either left or right. They're both guilty of this. They're both guilty of lining their pockets. They're both guilty of being oligarchs, even more so now because of all these lockdowns and the uh, going totalitarian and all the stuff. It's it's little miniature dictators. So um, to what he's saying, though, he's not wrong. I mean, it, it is common sense. When you when you do these things, uh, when you spend foolishly, when you start printing money like they are, when you're doing these, um, you're removing the incentives to work or even, you know, raising taxes and, you know, all the things he listed there. More than that, not you're right. not. Yeah. And, and he's he's saying that the government removed every possible economic incentive to achieve more. That's what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing that. And this time they're using it. Uh, they're basing it in race. You know, or, or yeah, identity equity. politics. Yeah, well, and and also climate change. That's the other one because they're they're wanting to raise taxes and stuff yeah. on on corporations and businesses, which is absolutely going to crush the amount of jobs you can get. 
I mean, it's going to be, oh, it's going to, it's going to suck. Um, now, granted, we're not in the currency crisis, not yet. That comes later. Uh, believe me, that's coming. There's no way it can be avoided at this point. So I, I don't know that. I mean, that's going to be a, a three ring circus in and of itself because the currency hasn't collapsed yet. But he is right when he says bad things usually happen. You cannot print trillions of dollars out of thin air backed by nothing. And expect all of this to, to come out clean on the other end. You, you can't do oh, no, that. See, no, no. See, this, this is how you fix it. So instead of printing, what we'll do is we'll go completely digital. And then we can create and purge the money very easily just, just at the press of a button. So then we won't have to worry about they can inflation. Do that now. They can do that now. They're not technically printing now. They're just expanding the balance sheets is all they're doing. Yeah. So... Um, and the other thing is, is uh, we, we heard about the um, change crisis that we were having, you know, where they were running out of change and cash and whatnot. Uh -huh. and it almost sounds like it's uh, there's a narrative they're trying to form. It almost seems like they're they're trying to to build up to something, doesn't it? It's it's this has all been very slow going and and very progressive, uh, moving towards um, uh, the great reset or or um, you know. These, these wonderful changes that are going to be for the greater good. With his account there, and and you can see certain similarities, and we're tracking to be on the, a lot of those paths that he lays out. Now, whether that follows out exactly the same way, that remains to be seen because these people have all kinds of tricks up their sleeves. To be honest with you, I think we'll see a civil war before we see um, economic collapse and some of the stuff I, he was talking about. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. And, and we'll get into how that's possibly going to happen uh, here in just a few minutes. But Gordon Chang, have you ever heard, Bruce, have you heard of Gordon Chang? Maybe. The, the name's somewhat familiar. OK, he's an expert on the Far East. He's come out and he gave an interview to uh, to Newsmax the other day. He was on Sunday's The Cats Roundtable. And and I want to go through some of the uh, the stuff that he was pointing out. And he has said now, mind you, taking into account the data dumps of all of the uh, the, comp the companies that are compromised, the government agencies, the bureaucracies, hell, even the intelligence communities, uh, members of, of parliament, members of Congress in the U.S. that are compromised, mayors, governors, state legislatures, lobbyists, probably. I would imagine lobbyists. Hell, they're probably yeah. They're, they're You know what a lobbyist is? A lobbyist is a gangster with a briefcase. But side issue, Gordon Chang says that China is conducting a massive foreign influence operation in the U.S. and will use any means possible to destroy the United States from within. I can't disagree with that. If everything that we see in these data dumps is indeed correct, in corroboration with people that they have on the inside here doing their bidding would make perfect sense. He goes on to say, China will use any means possible to corrupt Americans, infiltrate them, influence them, and work to overthrow the U.S. government. Well, we've kind of already been seeing that for many, many decades now, haven't we? They've bought up six of the eight Hollywood production houses. So they own a majority stake in most of those. They've gotten into education. They've gotten into social media. They've gotten into our news. And so they pretty much control all the entertainment and information that you get. So there's your means of corrupting Americans, infiltrating them, influencing them. And of course, with their people at their in their key positions in bureaucracies, state houses, legislators, policymakers, lobbyists, and I would argue possibly some intelligence people as well. That's working to overthrow the U.S. government, isn't it? So that fits everything. China means to overthrow our government, he added. This is an existential struggle. They're looking forward to the return of America's elites to the White House 
and influence in Washington. What we are witnessing is China's comprehensive attack on America. What have I been saying? What you're seeing in the U.S., make no mistake about it, it is 110% a communist Marxist revolution. That's what you're seeing. The tearing down of the statues, does anybody even remember that? Do, do you remember that? That's right out of Mao. First thing they did, they tore down the statues. You've seen the videos of it. They're out there smashing them with hammers. What came after that? Anybody know? It was the Great Leap Forward. They went after farmers. They went after rural communities. They isolated them. They demonized them. They herded everybody up into the compact cities. Does that sound familiar? A any of that ringing a bell? So we've gone from the Great Leap Forward to the Great Reset. They've repackaged the same old stuff. The same elites are involved. They just believe that America is in terminal decline, that China can do whatever it wants. And this is extremely dangerous. We are in terminal decline. Do you want to know the truth of the matter? The U.S. hasn't created jobs in 50 years. That's the truth of the matter. I know that's a, a tough one to uh, to digest there, but the U.S. hasn't really created any jobs. Oh, yes, we've we created stuff under Trump. We created a lot of service jobs. That's true. That's true. We did have a big, strong, bustling economy that roared back under Trump. Yes, we did. But what's Trump? Trump's a hotel guy. He's a service industry guy. That's what he knows. And that's what the policies were based around largely. Not all. We did have some manufacturing jobs return, but nowhere near enough. Go back to the 1950s. Look at the boom. Look at the expansion between 1950 and 1970 in America. Look at that time period, those 20 years, and then compare them to the last 20, hell, 30, 40 years. And tell me, tell me that we haven't been under a period of decline in that amount of time. You can't tell me that. I come from a Midwestern state. I come from Ohio. Manufacturing was our thing. We had plastics plants. We had uh, polymer plants. We had... Uh, battery plants, we had coal fire plants, we had natural gas uh, powerhouses, you name it. We had steel plants, all of it. Anything that you could possibly imagine, that's what you would do. You would go to work in one of these plants because that's where you could actually make a decent living for yourself. You could live really well, you could have a good retirement, you could buy a home right in the community, and you could live your life. But as I got older, all of that stuff was being removed. All of it's gone now. Everything's gone. All of it. Last time I was there, I, I looked and I said, where in the hell's all the, where, where is, where's all the manufacturing? Where's it all gone? It's all been removed. You're going to sit there and you're going to tell me as a politician that you have been creating jobs in America. You stand up for working people. You, you people have the audacity to come out and say that we're creating jobs. We're saving American jobs and you're selling us out. America is in a terminal decline. And the most important thing is, is it doesn't need to happen. It's been done on purpose. Our manufacturing has been sold out by these corrupt elites, by these politicians, to put us in a state of neo-feudalistic serfdom. We are to submit, we are to obey, and go along with the new system, because they're going to be elevated to elite status, or so they think. Never works like that. Case in point, look at the way that they behave. Look at the way that these people behave. The hypocrisy of these people is, it's naked. It's unprecedented. Chang went on to say, Intelligence exposing Representative Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California, which we talked about him here yesterday, and his relations with Chinese spy Christine Fang is only a symptom of a larger infection of American culture, society, and politics. All true. We know that she had substantial, con substantial contact, not only with Swalwell, but many other American political figures. The important thing here 
is not that Fang had first contact with Swalwell when he was sitting in the House Intelligence, when he was sitting on the House Intelligence Committee, which would, of course, be important to Beijing. They contacted him when he was a council member in Dublin City, California. They were grooming him. They're grooming a lot of Americans right now in the hopes that they become more influential. See, that's what they do. They come after you when you're just sitting in a small little seat somewhere. This is why they go after mayors. They go after small council people somewhere. And then they support you and they get organizations on with your cause that they set up. They get shell companies that they set up. They funnel the money through there directly to your campaign and you get elevated to rock star status. But you're going to do the work for that party behind the scenes. You are a traitor to your country and to your people. And in America, we only have one punishment if you're a traitor, and they know it. And now this data dump comes out with almost 2 million names on it across the Western world. Oh, that's very embarrassing. So we have to go back into lockdown. You see how this works yet? Brian Kemp, governor of Georgia, Republican, by the way, boasts about Georgia's ties with China. See, there's this picture. Chang goes on. There's this picture, which I find particularly disturbing, of Kemp posing with China's consul general from Houston before the consulate was closed. Remember, the House consulate was closed because of spying. I think it was closed because it was involved in inciting Americans to violence during this year. Interesting thing about Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia, his daughter's boyfriend was just killed in a car accident a few days ago. Cause of the accident was unknown. Huh. Chang goes on. We suspect China was coordinating protests on the streets of Washington, those violent ones at the end of May and the beginning of June, the burning of St. John's Church. Those were obviously coordinated, and they were actually heard boasting about how they were working with Chinese agents. There's also some indication that there were similar Chinese activities in Los Angeles and other Southern California protests. Those need to be investigated. He says that American law enforcement has tried to stay ahead of China's operations, but there's just too much to root out right now. I'm not sure that that's entirely true. What about the people that are compromised in those agencies and organizations? He says China's overwhelming the FBI and American law enforcement and the CIA, and we just can't keep up because there are so many different ways that China can use money and or the prospect of money to influence Americans. Again, how do we know that these organizations are not compromised? I would argue that justice is compromised. I would argue that the attorney general's office is compromised. I would argue that the intelligence community, not all of it, is largely compromised. I could be wrong, but it just seems to me as the average American looking at the situation as I am every day, why are there not people being investigated? Where's the charges? If you have a clear-cut case on an American politician that is in bed with a foreign government, why in the hell are they not in handcuffs on every news channel and every newspaper being walked out there in front of the public made to answer for the charges of high treason? Just a concerned citizen, that's all. Now, here's the question. Was China involved in the 2020 election? We looked at the SEC filings of their interest and their stake in Dominion voting systems. We looked at that. And it's valid. It's there. They're involved with Dominion voting systems. And now the question is, with all of these lawsuits being thrown into a court, and then of course the courts are being thrown, the courts are throwing those out. So I want to transition into where this is going to go, because a lot of people are expecting old Beijing Joe to come into office. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. The question is, is Joe Biden going to take office on January 20th? And to be honest, I I mean, a lot of these conservative talk show hosts and and Republican politicians and all the rest of them, they're already saying, all right, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's over. It's done. It's, you know, there's nothing more we can do. And, And to be honest with you, I look at that and I can't tell you my level of anger when I see people like that. These are supposed to be people of influence that are fighting for we the people, the average little guy out here. 
I understand they're sometimes bound by what they have or what they're allowed to say on terrestrial radio and stuff like that. I get it. I get it. But for God's sake, we're not going to have a country left if influential people at that level don't start standing up for something. Oh, well, we're just going to have to take it. We're going to have to suck it up and take it. You go straight to hell with that. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. We don't have to sit there and take it. An election that was rigged and stolen out there in front of the world. The evidence is out there. It's right in front of a court and the court doesn't even look at it. It'd be one thing if they looked at it, but they don't even do that. The Supreme Court couldn't even be asked. Couldn't be bothered. What was it, Bruce? You don't have standing or something like that. And they just tossed it. Yeah, yeah you don't have standing. The, the thing about all that. OK, so the narrative on the left, um, this one's really confused me. The left is saying you're a fascist for wanting to audit the vote, right? So we just want to go in and verify that the signatures match voter registries and that the ballots match up, right? We just want to have that audited. If everything's legit, all this is going to do is delay things a little bit. You know, if, if everything's legit already, then Biden clearly won and, you know, things will transition uh, peacefully as normal. And if it's not uh, legit, then, um, you know, Trump wins, right? So. I think that's the main problem there is they just don't want Trump to win. But anyway, they're all saying that you're a fascist for wanting. Um, I can't say they're all saying that. Uh, a lot of the left are saying uh, this is more of the progressive extreme left. You're a fascist for wanting to do this. You guys keep it up. Seriously, this is this is very dangerous ground. When you get to the point where the people, the the the, the voters do not think their voices can be heard any longer and things are being like the election stolen and then you're going to start enacting um these shutdowns closing of businesses which are unconstitutional you're going to raise taxes you're going to destroy their lives it will come to a shooting war i don't want to see that we don't want to see that nobody wants to see that except for the marxists and i don't know what else to think at this point uh what what the intention of our politicians are it it almost seems like the politicians are all on board with it minus a select few because the Supreme Court just said, ah, you don't have standing. Uh, are you literally trying to say we're going to have a civil war? That that's uh, I, 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 I don't I don't I don't know what to to think based on their. Um, yeah. yeah. And see, that's an interesting point there, because they do want that. They, they do want that. Uh, they do want that civil war. They want that that fight out there in the streets because they want us to expel our ammunition, the private citizen. They want us to expel our ammunition on each other. And so there won't be a physical uh, invasion that they'll have any resistance to. That's what they want. But see, that's where I think they're mistaken. Because if we can get this thing and we can get this thing done now, and believe me, I, I don't like where I'm going with this. I don't like it. But as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't hear anyone else putting up this point. And I want to know why. These are smart people that are out there on the radio waves, they understand how these things work and why they're not putting it together. I don't understand. I don't know. This is a viable option. This is a 100% legal option that I'm going to bring up. And I want to know if it's necessary, because at this point, I see no other alternative, given the fact of where we are. The election happens. The fraud's out there in front of everybody. The lawsuits get filed. The state legislature tosses it, gets kicked up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court doesn't even hear it. They don't even hear it. It'd be one thing, again, like I said, if they looked at it and said, well, yeah, there's enough here. We're going to we're going to take a look and we're going to make a ruling based on this. Didn't even look at it. No standing. They tossed it. The one organization that's supposed to stand up for the Constitution, they have a single job, a single job to look out for one document. That's all they have to do. 
Nothing else. And they can't even be asked to do their job, which leads me to believe that people on the Supreme Court are compromised. Not even the three justices that Trump himself appointed stood behind him. You've heard Texas call for secession. We talked a little bit about secession yesterday, and you're going to hear more talk about that in the coming days. 21 states, 21 states filed suit and had it sent to the Supreme Court. 21 states. You're telling me that 21 state attorney generals can actually see precedent. They wouldn't have put their name on it otherwise if they didn't see something. They can see it, but the Supreme Court doesn't. No. No, uh, the Supreme Court sees it. They know. Oh, of course they know, but they don't want the backlash. They, they don't want the they backlash. Don't want the, yeah, and they don't want the, the... Roberts is more concerned about the image, the public image of the Supreme Court. He's not concerned about uh, rulings or, or uh, the integrity of the Constitution. He's not a conservative judge. He's a liberal. Um, so, no. Honestly... If it goes anywhere in the Supreme Court, I'll be surprised. We'll see what happens at the state level if they throw it out on the state level. I'm really concerned that this is going to, to trigger trigger um, violence. Well, the last time we had Marty on, we were talking about a little of, I mean, this is before the Supreme Court uh, threw it out. He said, what's next? What's after that? Secession, right? There's talk of that, well, which would make sense. Technically, Technically, the next step would be to go back to the state level. And if the state level, because um, the Texas lawsuit actually skipped all the state, you know, the lower courts. True, true. So they would go back and try to file it at a lower court. And if that doesn't work, then yeah, secession is the only thing left because your vote is being diluted. Your vote basically means much less now. And if they're, if they allow, okay, if there was indeed voter fraud, if that was indeed going on, which we know it was there was. That means uh, it's just been legalized. If this goes goes by without a hitch, and nobody nobody stands up and and uh, audits this and and calls it out, it's legalized. They're going to do it for the next election and the next election and the next election. We have to stamp this down now, and we have to um, prosecute with the harshest of punishments when it comes to this, uh, legally allowed, uh, because. Um, we have to stamp this down. We have to stamp this down. And we don't stop at the lower, oh, it was just some, you know, it was just some uh, intern that that made a mistake and left the the uh, SD card, you know, they, they forgot to unplug it and plug it into the counting machine. No, 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 I'm sorry. Whoever's the head of that intern, they're in trouble. Whoever the, who, whoever the supervisor is of the supervisor, they're in trouble. I mean, this needs to go up the chain because... That's typically how it works in a business, right? If if one of your employees is not uh, doing their job and you don't pick up the slack, you know, get them to work a little bit harder, you're the one that gets in trouble along with the employee, right? That's typically what happens. Mm-hmm. Why should this be any different? It's a good point. And I know we're going to run over today and, and I'm okay with it because this, I think this deserves to, to have a little extra time spent on it. But I got to thinking, I, I was thinking that at some point that there's going to have to be what we say in the U.S. as, in a, to use a football analogy, we say Hail Mary. There's going to have to be a Hail Mary. Now, I've heard people saying, well, where's the Insurrection Act? Where, where's the Insurrection Act? Why are we not invoking the Insurrection Act? We heard that with the riots back in the middle of summer. Where's the Insurrection Act? Well, in that case, when you look at it in this context, when you bring, when you fast forward to now, right, when you bring it up to the, to the current time, if Trump would have invoked the Insurrection Act back then, wouldn't have taken care of the problem, would it? It would have just been a half effort. Wouldn't have made much sense. You would have cleaned up the riots in the streets, yeah. But you wouldn't have actually fixed the rest of this problem, or addressed it, rather. But everything that's happening now is happening in uh, in 
in a series almost. What you're seeing now is a process called discovery. Anybody that has done any kind of investigation work, you go through a process of discovery. Same thing if you're working in a courtroom, you go through a process of discovery. This is the process of discovery. We're seeing people, we're seeing organizations, we're seeing narratives that we otherwise wouldn't have seen in the midst of all this, aren't we? So I, I, I had to think a little bit and I went back and I thought, okay, Trump made a speech on December 3rd, or December 2nd, December 3rd, something like that. So I had to go back and I had to find it. And it was a 45-minute speech in the Oval Office. And it was televised. It was out there. I didn't think that it got much coverage. The media really didn't pay any mind to it or anything like that. But he said something in there that stood out to me that I that I remember. I thought, okay, it's going to go to a larger, larger issue. And it's, like I said, I'm not hearing anybody talk about this. I could be mistaken. I could be completely wrong, but I haven't heard anyone put this together. But I want to play just a just a two minute snippet of what Trump said from that speech that stood out. Thank you. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called election day. Now we have election days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner, even while many key states were still being counted. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections. Now, those two minutes of a 45 minute speech were probably the most important that he said out of all of it. And you think, OK, well, it's just a it's just a simple matter of a president going up and making a point that he's going to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. OK, well, what if there's more to it? He said that he's going to defend the Constitution against a continued assault and where our system's being held under siege. Well, technically we are. It's being held in place by the uh, by the states that are refusing to let up and they're stomping on people's constitutional rights, are they not? So that's what you do. You cut off people's access. I mean, this is a this is a, a, this is a tactic of warfare that's thousands of years old. You cut off people's access to resources until they capitulate to your demands. That's siege. That's the definition of it. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. Okay. But yet he's saying that it's being held under siege. 
in a sense. And it is. Well, if that's the case, the Insurrection Act isn't going to do it. And so I remember, and it was a long time ago, but I remember vaguely about what George Bush did, George Bush Jr., about what he did. And he created something called Executive Directive 51. Anybody can go and look this up. I didn't know what it was called. I couldn't remember it. But I remember he created something that allowed the president to take control of key aspects and to preserve the Constitution of the United States. Now, what is Directive 51? What is Executive Directive 51? And again, this is this is 100% legal. It's out there. As a matter of fact, I went to the National Security and Department of Homeland Security's own website and got the actual directive itself. It's right there. You can go and get it. You can read it. You can look at it yourself. You see, most people don't know that this even exists. I didn't know it existed. Not until I gave it to you, <laughs> you know, yeah. about an hour and a half yeah. ago. <laughs> so what is the purpose of this? And I'm, I'm quoting directly from the directive itself. It says this directive, again, this was created under George Bush. It was put forth by the Office of the Press Secretary May 9th, 2007. And it is the National Continuity Policy. This directive establishes a comprehensive national policy on the continuity of federal government structures and operations and a single national continuity coordinator responsible for coordinating the development and implementation of federal continuity policies. This policy establishes national essential functions, prescribes continuity requirements for all the executive departments and agencies, and provides guidance for state local, territorial, and tribal governments, and private sector organizations in order to ensure a comprehensive and integrated national continuity program that will enhance the credibility of our national security posture and enable a more rapid and effective response and a recovery from a national emergency. Now, this is extremely detailed in everything that it covers, but essentially it allocates all powers to the executive branch and it allows them to coordinate and administer policy. A category refers to the categories of executive departments and agencies listed to this directive. Okay, so this is going to go on further. I'm just going to pick out a few key things here just in the interest of time. But again, this document, I just told you where you can go and get it. You can go to the Department of Homeland Security's website, look up Executive Directive 51, and you can go and read it for yourself. It's freely out there. Catastrophic emergency. They actually say this. A catastrophic emergency means any incident, regardless of location, that results in extraordinary levels of mass casualties, damage, or disruption severely affecting the U.S. population, infrastructure, environment, economy, or government functions. Uh, just a, a fun little tidbit of information here on this. Um, I'm pretty sure this was spawned out of not only the fear of 9-11 uh, happening again, but Bush uh, Jr. had a fascination and a fear of biological warfare or some kind of virus getting loose or something, you know, a pandemic destroying the populace. Mm -hmm. And there was fears rising at that time period about uh, a country attacking us with an EMP. So that that's kind of where this stuff started. Enduring constitutional government or ECG means a cooperative effort among the executive, legislative and judicial branches of the federal government coordinated by the president as a matter of comedy with respect of the legislative and judicial branches and with proper respect for the constitutional separation of powers among the branches to preserve the constitutional framework under which the nation is governed and the capability of all three branches of government to execute constitutional responsibilities and provide for orderly 
succession, appropriate transition of leadership and interoperability, and support of national essential functions during a catastrophic emergency. And then it goes on to say that uh, the executive departments and agencies, and they go on to explain what all of those are and what all of them can do. Uh, and, and all of that nature. They say that uh, government functions means the collective functions uh, of the heads of executive departments and agencies as defined by statute, regulation, presidential direction, or other legal authority and the functions of the legislative and judicial branches. Yeah, just a lot of boring stuff, really. But it says... It is the. It goes on to say under policy, it is the policy of the United States to maintain a comprehensive and effective continuity capability composed of continuity of operations and continuity of government programs in order to ensure a preservation of our form of government under the Constitution and the continuing performance of national essential functions under all conditions. And it goes on to talk about implementation and all the rest of it, which is quite interesting here. Uh, in the first part of it, I'm not going to read all of it, but in the first part of it, it says continuity requirements shall be incorporated into daily operations of all executive departments and agencies as a result of the asymmetric threat environment. Are we dealing with an asymmetric threat? Adequate warning of potential emergencies that could pose a significant risk to the homeland might not be available and therefore all continuity planning shall be based on the assumption that no such warning will be received. Now, this last part under a subsection below that. It says here, ensuring the continued function of our form of government under the Constitution, including the functioning of the three separate branches of government, providing leadership visible to the nation and the world and maintaining the trust and confidence of the American people. Does Joe Biden have the trust and the confidence of the American people defending the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and preventing or interdicting attacks against the United States or its people, property, or interests. Now, when Trump comes out and he says that the constitutional process must be allowed to continue and that our system is under siege, I'm asking, any of the things listed in Executive Directive 51, are all of those things not listed that we're dealing with? Mass casualties? We're under threat from an outside source and we're compromised internally? It goes on to say protecting against threats to the homeland and bringing to justice perpetrators of crimes or attacks against the United States or its people, property or interests. Do we have that? Do we see those people? People that are closing down your businesses, that's an attack on your property. They're forcing you to wear a mask. Isn't that a, I mean, I would argue that that's a crime because they're forcing you to wear something. You can argue the constitutionality of it and it'd be tied up in court for years. And then, of course, it would go down to a state issue and it would just turn into a legal battle. But just for the sake of argument, an attack against the United States or its people. Well, we're kind of dealing with that, aren't we? With the pandemic, maybe people are going out there and they're getting stomped by police because they're not wearing a mask or they're not wearing it properly. I would argue that that's a crime. What police brutality doesn't count anymore because it's in the name of public health. Provide rapid and effective response to and recovery from the domestic consequences of an attack or other incident. Riots in the streets, maybe providing for critical federal government services that address the national health safety, and welfare needs of the United States. Everything that we're dealing with in the U.S., court cases being tossed out, election being stolen out there in front of everybody, an insurrection act isn't going to do it, but this certainly would. This would certainly fit the bill for everything that needs to be solved and everything that needs to be addressed. The CCP compromised people, the corporations that are being leveraged by the CCP to take everyone's rights, the governors, the mayors, the city supervisors, that are taking people's rights, they're attacking their property, the riots in the streets, people that are being doxxed and humiliated, all stands to fit this particular thing here. Again, most people don't know this exists. Now, it's not as simple to just go out and say, all right, 
uh, if you're President Trump. It's not as simple to just go out and say that, all right, I'm going to implement Executive Directive 51. First of all, no one would even know what that is. The media would probably claim that it's something that he just conjured up because, again, they're counting on the fact that the average person doesn't even know this, this exists. And I actually had to go back and think on it. But it's not as simple as just going out and declaring this. You can't just do that. In order to declare this, you need to look back further. You need some kind of a precedent in order to do that. Well, we're gaining it in all those other areas, aren't we? I mean, we we have all those other precedents that are being set in other places, courts throwing things out, election integrity, justice not going after the real criminals because they're compromised themselves or they're too afraid. In order to declare that, you'd have to go back even further. You'd have to go back to an act that was created in July 29th of 1861, and that was called the Proclamation to Disperse. And we've used that before. It's been used several times, once in 1957, once in 1962, twice in 1963, once in 1965, 1967, three times in 1968. Now, what does that mean? What does this do? Whenever the president considers it necessary to use the militia or armed forces under this chapter, he shall, by proclamation, immediately order the insurgents to disperse and retire peaceably to their abodes within a limited time. So this is insurrection. This must be declared before you can invoke Executive Directive 51. And you say, OK, well, why hasn't he declared this? If this is something that needs to be done, is it is it entirely possible that that he will declare this? I would just add to the um, the thoughts there, the idea there. I, I hate that we came to this point. We kind of talked about it off recording. We wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for Trump and his um, his cabinet. Right. He would have uh, if he would have clean the swamp a little bit better. I don't know, maybe fired Barr um, as an example about a year ago. It's possible we wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. We would have been investigating uh, the, the votes and this would have been handled more swiftly. We wouldn't be pushing towards something that will trigger riots and all kinds of stuff. Possibly uh, the, the implications there of what the left might do because they see the right as fascists. Without any evidence, they can't give you any specifics on why the right is a fascist, but they're fascists while they themselves are silencing everybody and, you know, doing the things that fascists are typically known for, like the brown shirts, for example, Some Marxist while struggle. doing those things. They need yeah, the opposition. Yeah. That's all they know. Right. So uh, I, I want it cleaned up. I, I wish we didn't come to this point. We're at this point now. There's only so many other levers we can pull uh, to try to purge this. Um, corruption. And um, if these fail, there's only one lever left to pull and uh, it's not going to be pretty. On a final note, you think, okay, well, um, you, you probably got that from some crackpot conspiracy theory website. I went to the US House of Representatives own website, the .gov, uscode.house.gov, and I pulled the proclamation to disperse. And it says very clearly that those laws went into effect yesterday per their updated records. And again, you can go and look it up yourself. Again, we ran over, uh, and I want to apologize, but I think given the nature of what I think might be the next step here, stands to reason that uh, going over on time today was a little bit justified. So I want to thank all of you for taking the extra time today. So for those of you who have not, and you'd like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. Love getting all of your likes, your echoes, your comments, and your upvotes. You can follow me over there at janderson 3 or you can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you want to reach out to us and you don't want to do it on social media, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow our audience here as much as possible, especially with 
this kind of information that we're sitting here trying to put together. Uh, we're just trying to get people to have good, healthy conversations in and amongst their own circles and talk about real issues. And so if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcasts, with the exception of SoundCloud. Also, if you're rating podcasts, if you could drop over to whatever respective platform you listen to us on and give us a rating at your earliest possible convenience, if they have a rating system, we would appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Bruce, thank you for your time tonight. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.